1: Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how busy Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette.
0: Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
1: On today's show, we take your questions on seating people who don't get along, etiquette for picking someone up for a carpool, walking off parts of your home during a party, and asking someone to be a godparent.
0: For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your question of the week is about reconnecting when you left on a bad note.
1: Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript from Margaret Sherwood's Gilded Age Etiquette book, Manners and Social Usages.
0: All that's coming up.
1: Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning.
0: And I'm Lizzie Post. And a very
1: good morning to you, Lizzie Post.
0: (laughs) A very good morning to you, too. It's kind of... I know that we're still in summer, but it is starting to feel a little fall-like around here in Vermont.
1: <laughs> Maybe it's a little fall-like over by the lake. I'm feeling very fallish very over here in the, in the mountains.
0: mountains. <laughs> that usually does happen. That usually does happen.
1: There is a very particular feel to the air when fall comes. And I would say that this morning was that day because it... Definitely feels crisp this morning, but I actually started to get that feel maybe the middle of last week There were it, it, it toggled <laughs> on and off There were days that felt warm like summer and days that felt very cool and crisp
0: Well cuz fall is often very busy and I feel like this fall is no exception That <laughs> I'm feeling it after labor day. It feels like everything is just go 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 And granted we do have a book launching on october 4th, but one of the emails I was really happy not to miss this week was one from Andrea Voyer, who is a sociologist, and she is a woman who has um, gotten a grant to do a study on all of Emily Post's etiquette, all the editions throughout the years, and she actually created a searchable database of all of the editions, and so, so she can really
1: cool. I know it's
0: like it's the coolest project. I know you guys have heard us talk about this before. If you're new to the show, this is the kind of thing Dan and I drool of and dream over because, or wait. Dr- dream of and drool (laughs) over because we are often asked, well, how has the etiquette changed? And, you know, I just don't have all of the additions stored in my head on a little flash drive or something like that. (laughs) And so it is really frustrating to not know the material well enough to be able to answer that question. And truly none of us know this material well enough to be able to answer that question. So it's really fun to have Andrea because she can go and look things Up And one of the things, Dan, that I've always been so curious about is that we were given access to some files of Emily's old radio show from the 1930s. It's called The Right Thing to Do, and they're housed at the Library of Congress, and they're owned by CBS or NBC or something like that. And So we, we actually can't air them for you. But they do live there, and we have been given a set just to listen to privately. And it's about six episodes worth. And one of the episodes, there's a question about a young gentleman who's in from, he's in from out of town. And I believe he is a stranger to this woman that he meets, but she invites him to come over for a nice home-cooked meal while he's, you know, staying in a strange town and to have dinner with her husband and her family. And so his question to Emily is, do I need to bring something? And Emily's answer is very clearly, no, you do not. To bring something would be acting as if you have to bribe this woman for her hospitality. You should just show up, be polite, be engaged, say thank you. That's your job as a guest. And it just blew my modern mind because, you know, the question of the hosting gift and some people think it's a mistake to ever show up empty handed. Other people think that it feels like transactional if you have to give your host something every time you come over. I mean, we are just so divided on this issue. Okay,
1: okay, and okay. I have to interrupt. yeah. yeah, yeah. This yeah. is the record scratch moment. Where <laughs> did I just hear Emily Bose say that? Do not bring a hostess gift. Do not bring a little yeah. something when you're invited over to dinner at someone's house. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to acknowledge that moment. <laughs> it, was the record. it wasn't
0: as big a record scratch for me, but it was I do think it's it's uh it's really interesting to hear her perspective on it. And then to see where the advice has gone. So Andrea looked it up for us in her amazing magical database. And what Andrea found was that from there's gifts from house guests that shows up in 1927, but it's optional. So that house guest gift that we we don't really talk about as optional, she's saying is optional and that does appear in the 1927 edition. So again, first edition 1922. And then that's the wording that's kept all the way until 1969. Emily died in 1960. So we're now talking about our grandmother, Elizabeth Post, being the author of this quote. It is not necessary, but it is always courteous to take your hostess a box of flowers or candy. And I think she means a box of candy or flowers (laughs) or a basket of fruit or a book. Or if she has children, to make presents of toys to them in 1969 it becomes almost obligatory she said this is what andrea's written the quote she found was it is not only courteous but almost obligatory to take your hostess a gift or if she has children to take presents to them so that's that's the change between the the, the two and then we go to in 1975 gifts are now required it is not only courteous, but obligatory to give your hostess a gift, or if she has children, to take presents to them. You and can't then, wipe
1: the smile off my yeah, face. I know, right? Goes.
0: And then that stays obligatory until that same wording is retained all the way until 1997. And then she hasn't given me the 97 until now, but it is, uh, you know, we we tend to say that it varies a little bit by social group or region or the customs you grew up with, that sort of thing, that it is always welcome and appropriate, always courtesy, but, you know, not something you should ever judge somebody by if they didn't do it, that kind of thing, I feel like is where we've landed with it. (laughs) Um, But it's really fun to just see how it starts out as not even being listed in the book, except for under the idea of a house guest, and then it becomes an absolute obligatory courtesy.
1: (laughs) And what I love is that you can just see with clarity the way that language changes thank you yeah, like- <laughs> to the good work of Andrea and the other thing that interests me is the way our impression about something is created that that what you see in the historical evidence is this slow change over time mm-hmm. and that by the time you you end up in the present moment i feel like i and i think maybe some other people maybe some people listening right now have the impression that it's always been this way or that these are particular manners that were handed down from a long time ago and have been retained. Right. And the idea that, no, it's it's a much more fluid process. It evolves. And even some of the – what I would think of as the firmer expectations that we have of ourselves – that we might take for granted or think are the ones that are the oldest or the most firmly established, that not might always. not
0: necessarily be true. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Well, it was really fun getting that email from Andrea. We are going to get together so that we can have her on the podcast in the future. I'm hoping that's the near future, but really looking forward to hearing more about what she discovers as she enters enters in things to this database and and pulls out information and and makes discoveries about patterns. So. Mm-hmm. Um, well, very, very cool.
1: <laughs> and I don't want to um, short circuit the credit here, also. I think it was your curiosity and the specificity of the question that you asked Andrea to look up that helped get an interesting result and also helped show the the power of that database and what it can tell
0: us. (laughs) Totally, totally. Well, it was my pleasure. It's one that's been gnawing at me ever since I heard that advice, living as someone who knows that, you know, some people think the hostess gift is absolutely mandatory, even for casual visits to friends' houses, other people who think it's only for special occasions, some people who don't even know that it's a tradition at all. It was really fun to kind of look back at how we handled it over the years.
1: There are some questions that we get asked repeatedly that I don't think this kind of research would be much help on. And I'm thinking of pizza the fork topping on the questions. Left. <laughs> well, fork on the left. Well, maybe. Although I don't imagine there's much change there. But I was also thinking about the shoes on, shoes off question.
0: Mm, that yes. You
1: might not see an evolution of it, but you might get a first mention take it.
0: note that it didn't appear until this edition yeah was it like 15
1: that. years ago five yeah. years ago 25 years ago yeah. but i'd be curious what our readers would like to know
0: if yes if we please. had access
1: to a database like this hypothetically and you were able <laughs> to relay it through us to someone who had such a database what would be the most pressing historical etiquette question
0: that you would want an answer to please do send us in those questions along with your etiquette questions for the show
1: lizzie boast speaking of the show we do have a show to get to
0: we we should let's go answer some questions
1: let's do it
0: Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802 858 Kind. That's 802 858 5463. Or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. On Facebook, we're the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show.
1: Our first question this week is one that I am very sympathetic to, and Ah. it's about an awkward seating situation. Charlie begins. My wife is co-chair of a very well-attended annual charity gala to raise money for an organization that works with victims of domestic abuse and violence. Several months ago, she put together a table of 10 people, five couples. This event is in November. Since putting the table together, two of the couples have had a major falling out. What should we do? Number one, assume they will be civil to each other and not embarrass the hostess. Hope for the best. Two, make a decision and ask one not to come. The least attractive option. Or three, call each couple and let them know the other couple is attending and let them decide the course of action. Or do you have another suggestion? If push comes to shove, we greatly prefer one couple over the other. Ooh. Thank you for your help. Sincerely yours charlie
0: i appreciate that honest perspective charlie i <laughs> like i don't know why it's making me giggle but we, we it made me laugh too and like, i felt a little bad we, about it like i both felt bad about it and it was like that's so natural <laughs> like and like it feels so and very real information <laughs> like we greatly prefer one gobble over the other so one of the things i'm a little Bit curious about is when we're told by Charlie that uh, his wife put together a table of 10 people, five couples for the event in November. Does that mean that she's purchased that table and invited these 10 and is sort of the host of the table or just as the co-chair of the event, she's in charge of seating and has made up this table? I'm a little uncertain of that and wondering if it would have any kind of impact on the answer. But my general answer, and because I'm just going to throw it out there and I kind of want to hear your reaction to it is to not do anything and let these couples deal with their own fallout that they've had. And the reality that when you have such a fallout and there are social things that you do, you're likely going to cross paths with people. I could see switching up the tables if there was a very easy way to do that and it didn't look forced in any such way. Just just change them up and they can be at the event, but we won't try to force them to sit at the same table. If that's not possible – then I say you just let them show up and, and risk that they behave. Is that is – that, am I like not being considerate of the organization that this is all about if I say that? I don't
1: think so. Okay. I think that if the, the problem was so serious that it's unlikely they'd be able to get through a meal together civilly – that they would know enough to moderate their participation at events where they'd each be. And I, and I think that's the origin of the question of, should I let them know, should I tell them? Mm -hmm. And
0: that way they're just aware of what type of behavior they need to be on.
1: And I think that's a tough question because it's, it's hard to know how acrimonious the dispute is, what exactly it was about, whether there's a a aggrieved party or whether it's a, a dispute it's not an easy thing to know. And I like your instinct that it's not your business, mm-hmm. that for the most part, you want to let them be responsible for the situation that they're involved in and their management of themselves when they do cross paths. Mm-hmm. I had started to have this thought in my mind, well, maybe the couple that you prefer, you're also much closer to. It might be maybe. easier to, in a casual way or through some other channel, let them know about the situation. Mm-hmm. But then you create this awkward situation where you've told the people that you are closer to and would rather be there, and they become the only people with the information to maybe bow out. So on the one hand, it would be, I think, a responsible thing to do if the dispute was so bad that really it would be irresponsible not to let them know that they've both been invited. Mm Mm-hmm. And it might not get you the outcome that you like the most, but it might be the the easiest, the most responsible, the most practical way mm-hmm. to not put people in a very awkward or difficult situation if you can help it.
0: And that's just letting the couple that you know better or, or greatly prefer, as Charlie puts it, know that the other couple would be attending and at the same table.
1: Yeah. and Yeah. I, a little bit like you, though, my, my first instinct is that it's really not your business mm-hmm. and that unless there were some some factors or some aspect of the situation that really pointed you towards some kind of intervention to prevent something much worse from happening, mm-hmm. that that you take that approach with it. I was also like you trying to imagine a scenario where maybe you would have multiple tables Could you just break the table up. But, yeah based on the way the questions presented not sure my guess is that that's that's probably not a possibility
0: yeah i know I'm, I'm i am with you that a new seating chart if possible is probably the the quickest easiest way to at least put some distance between them the one thing i can't get behind is uninviting somebody or both of them both couples and that's that's one where i just don't see that as a good etiquette option
1: it is hard to withdraw an invitation. and
0: You almost can't do it unless safety is really an issue.
1: Exactly. And if you did do it, I think it would necessitate some sort of explanation. Oh, yeah. You would owe that to the people who were being uninvited. And that could potentially be more awkward than – them managing the situation themselves it mm-hmm. essentially becomes you a third party stepping and saying i i don't think this is po- going to be possible mm-hmm. that's the kind of statement that i think you would really want to be prepared to take a lot of responsibility for and yes. would mean that the the situation that you're describing this dispute would be serious enough that you would be able to point to it and say because of that i'm gonna have to disinvite both of you yeah. and that's that's the course of action that we're taking i i and I'm sure that Charlie would say it in a better tone than the one I just delivered it in.
0: <laughs> Dan, I'm hearing you unless there's some sort of safety issue that is very clear and easy to point to and very reasonable for anyone pretty much to understand. I think pending that, you really can't uninvite somebody from from something they've been invited to. Exactly. Charlie, we hope that our answer helps. And we also
1: want to applaud you and your wife for doing some really important work. And we hope that the event is able to go off without a hitch and that that can really be the focus for everybody involved.
0: Yes, it's better to settle our disagreements quickly and fairly. Disputing over who should ride the tricycle certainly spoils their play. It isn't any fun. And besides, it's dangerous. Someone's likely to be hurt.
1: Just think. All this time, they could be having fun on the tricycle.
0: Our next question is titled, Carpool Consideration. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I have a question about ride etiquette. Usually when I'm carpooling with a friend and I'm driving, I park my car in front of their house, then go knock on their door to let them know I've arrived. I have a new friend who lives in a third-floor apartment in a busy part of town. There isn't usually handy street parking, so I've resorted to texting to let her know I'm idling out front. It's functional, but feels a little impersonal, and maybe even impolite. I recognize that there's a functional, the ride, and a relational, the sharing, facet to carpooling. I've seen people pull up outside someone's house and honk to announce their arrival. That always seems to shortchange the relational aspect. Should I find parking, even if it's a block or two away, then go ring the buzzer to let her know I'm there? What do you think the most considerate approach is? Best, idle curiosity. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very cute sign-off name. I really like it.
1: Oh, idle curiosity. Thank you for the question. And I'm going to read you my... First, show no bullet.
0: Text, <laughs> straight text, ass.
1: text. I feel like this is what texting was made for.
0: I agree. And then I love that the next line is, I'd start texting the other friend too. <laughs> and That one I probably
1: would have moderated a little bit before I read it out loud. But I, absolutely, it seems so convenient and so perfect. It, and it does give you the out from honking the horn, which is just terrible. That has such yep. an awkward feel. It, it I think does. there's a certain cultural resonance to the presumptiveness of that as a gesture
0: well and the disruptiveness of it that it like it it doesn't disrupt just like you and the person you're communicating with it's like everyone around you hears that honking
1: (laughs) presumptive dismissive uh arrogant It, it really is it's it's a a cliche it's used in movies as the 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 symbolic language for the bad boyfriend. The yeah, boyfriend the bad who
0: date. Totally.
1: Is <laughs> self-centered and self-obsessed. And I will mention something that is just delightful now that is not directly related to this question, which is Lizzie Post's car horn translator. <laughs> which is a <laughs> series of slides that. that are part of our teen etiquette program. And the idea is that you, you, you speak a language with the horn in your mm-hmm. car, that there is a, a high beep, a tee-tee, just a like a letting you know I'm here, a friendly honk. That, so that a, could be
0: friendly beep if you do it right but it's still pretty
1: i think in the situation (laughs) there is no use of that horn that doesn't very clearly say i am self-absorbed anyway interesting I, i do think that the text is a good alternative to that it's one of those moments where you don't really need to talk to someone you just need to let them know you're out front and that little text alert is perfect it doesn't demand too much of their attention but it tells them that you're there and I also am really appreciating this question because there are certain courtesies. There's a relational aspect to that carpool. And I do think there are some reciprocal courtesies. I think that when you're being picked up, it is a really strong courtesy to be ready at the moment Mm -hmm. of pickup that you're prepared so that when that text does arrive, you're within a grabbing of a thing or two to get out the door and, and not have those people waiting too long. And I do think that is a whole a whole set of reciprocal courtesies that the person showing up makes an effort to make it as easy on you as possible but that you as the person receiving the ride also try to minimize the burden or impact so so you are ready your phone is on not silenced and 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 you're ready to go
0: <laughs> so i'll I'll push back a little and say that I, I don't think the friendly beep the high beep is the is is totally self absorbed or arrogant, but what I do think is that it does because it's less direct because you know the cell phone text message comes directly to the person they know that this is you reaching out to them the beep could be someone saying hi to their friend Ricky on the street. It could just be someone letting someone know the light turned green or to move through the intersection. The beep is less, I think, directly connected to the desired impact, I think, that you would want it to have. And so I find it less efficient here. But I do think, just like Dan said, it's really important that the one who is getting the ride, who is being picked up, is ready. And not only that, but it should also be a part of the deal between you two that they're really paying attention to their phone as that time comes in so that they don't miss the text that you're sitting out there and you're ready I think that's one place where the doorbell or the knock on the door, depending. I know this person lives in an apartment building, so it's probably a doorbell can make a really big difference. And I don't know if there's someone else in this carpool group who might be able to pop out and go ring the doorbell while you drive around the block or whether it's, you know, um, just that someone else could pop out and ring the doorbell while you kind of idle outside with your hazards on. I don't know how busy the street is, but I think there are a couple different ways you could do it that are just way more direct than the honk outside that Dan and I are both saying is probably not very effective in this particular situation. <laughs> I'll add one other thing as well, and yeah. that's the, the,
1: the advice that I would add that – isn't necessarily a moderating piece of advice but it relates to the idea that i might even start texting the other friend to the one where there's not as difficult a parking situation not as far Mm -hmm. a walk up but you've been making an effort that adds something to your routine in the morning
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and that's the idea that if that makes you feel good i think it's a A nice thing to do in the same way some people bring hot coffees when they show up for a carpool or
0: (laughs) a muffin or something yeah (laughs) exactly there are lots
1: of ways you can kind of chip into that shared experience that effort to make this a more pleasant experience for everyone involved maybe even something that we enjoy doing together and I think people that are good with that are successful carpoolers and get more out of it. My parents met carpooling during the gas crisis
0: <laughs> and they have about stories that. about it and
1: yeah. it's, it's, it's part of their story. So anyway, I get a question like this. I think about them and, and I do think about the, the human relationships that are involved. And I really see idle curiosity thinking about that too. And I just want to affirm that as well as offer some permission, some latitude to do the things that are practical and convenient as well.
0: Absolutely. Idle Curiosity. Thank you so much for this great question. We hope our answer helps you have a more enjoyable and easy time with your morning carpool.
1: The thinking driver, the alert driver takes no chances with the lives of himself and others. The alert driver can avoid accidents. He can slow down, for instance, in time to protect himself and others, in time to avoid the aggravation of minor damage, damage that costs money and denies the use of the car. Our next question is titled, Privacy, Please. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Love the show and have listened to every single episode. Ah. I have a question I don't recall being covered before. When hosting a large party at my home, what is the most polite way to make sure people don't go into private areas, mainly the bedrooms? I thought of printing some small privacy please signs and placing them on bedroom doors where curious eyes may wander. This may sound paranoid, but this will be a large party, 40 plus guests in a modest sized home. And while I'm happy to share all the public areas, I'd really like to discourage people going on a self-guided grand tour of my house. Most of these friends and acquaintances have never been to our home. Is it polite to place etiquettes (laughs) on doors directing people to keep out? Also, would love a sample script if a guest says something like, I love your decor. I'd love to see the rest of the house. Thank you for a fantastic podcast. I can't imagine my Mondays without you. Aww. Cheers. Harried hostess.
0: Harried hostess. Thank you so much. And thanks. Thanks for being a longtime listener or a really good binger of podcasts. <laughs> I love this question. I have I've got some easy answers, Dan. Can I throw them out there? Can you just oh, let's, like let's put cover them, the easy put them ones, right, yes. in, right easy out there? Fresh. OK. Um, so first of all, I definitely think closing doors is the best symbol of a room that is is not to be entered when there is a party bedrooms, offices, these are really common rooms. Sometimes even the fancy den or the fancy living room or something Mm -hmm. will be closed off, depending on the type of party that it is. But typically, most guests know that if a door is closed, it means you don't go in there, or if you open it and realize oh, this isn't the bathroom or coat closet, then you shut the door and, and move on to finding the room you're actually looking for. I don't think signs are needed. I love that that a harried hostess called them etiquettes because I know. We, we talked about the origin of the word etiquette comes from little signs, little tickets, little tags in French. So that was, that was really just 10 points there, harried hostess. But I think that when it comes to answering the question of I love your decor, I'd love to see the rest of the house, right? Because I'm understanding the the kind of rock and hard place of I've never invited these people to my house so I haven't given the tour and done like a housewarming type thing with them before and oftentimes, when we have someone new visiting our home we do give a tour but even that tour it's up to us how far we take it sometimes bedrooms aren't a part of that tour sometimes it's just oh and then the upstairs you know which Mm -hmm. is classic bedrooms bathrooms linen closet sure and so I think you can play that that way but when someone says I love your decor I'd love to see the rest of the house. It's okay for you to say, oh, I'm not prepared to give a full house tour right now, but we could definitely get together another time and talk, you know, patterns, carpets, furniture, <laughs> like, whatever you want. But that would be my, my like, first stab take at this question.
1: I, like you, Lizzie Post, was having fun imagining the sample scripts. Yeah. And I was picturing you with your sort of good humor and the way you <laughs> manage these situations so well and i didn't know if i could deliver it on air but i was thinking i must keep a bit of a mystery
0: about some things or <laughs> and, oh, and that's you know too me. much I'd for like you to house. be mysterious i'll show you those rooms another time <laughs> yeah.
1: i think something that would flow out of my mouth a little more easily yeah. would be A sort of confessional approach, honest confessional. Totally, I didn't have time to ready that area of the house, so I'm gonna keep guests here for the time being, or or, or something along those lines. Although you open politely
0: decline,
1: (laughs) politely decline. Even better, master of sample scripts. This is
0: just fun. Now I'm just having fun. I've also had coffee this morning, so I'm too caffeinated, but.
1: But you might open yourself up to the possibility of a tour in the future that way. And so you want to be careful about the, well, this isn't the right moment explanation. Mm -hmm. Another version of that I thought of was where you just sort of refocus attention on the party. It's best if I don't get into house tours right now. I've got 40 people here and I need to (laughs) circulate. (laughs) And so you're still using that good humor. You're not feeling overly busy or worried or burden that's not what you're communicating it's just that you're trying to keep your attention the place that you want your attention which is on your guests and at the party and it sounds from this question like that's your real aim here
0: harried hostess thank you so much for this question and i do believe for finding one we hadn't yet answered but that's still in the column of common etiquette questions we really appreciate you bringing it to us today and we certainly hope that our answer helps with your next party
1: I've always heard that honesty is the best policy. Now I'm catching on to why that's so. It isn't always easy to be honest. Make sure you say what you mean to say. And make sure your meaning is clear to your listeners.
0: Our next question is super short, but it's titled Proper Godparent Proposal, and it came in to us via text message. Is there a correct way to ask someone to be the godparent of your child? Anonymous.
1: This question really got me thinking. Sometimes it's the shortest, most direct questions that really are uh, a delight, a treasure. So thank you for this one.
0: <laughs> Dan, how did you guys handle this? Because you've, you've asked somebody this question before. Well, you, you, it took
1: me back, and and I did. And I remember that the answer confused me at the time and i could have made a better ask and i think it would have been a better (laughs) reply that i would have received and you're also reminding me that with william born at the end of a pandemic that i don't think he has any godparents we weren't talking or connecting with people in the same way and he hasn't had a christening yet so anyway um you've also given me something to think about in terms of is that something that i want to be doing in the near future
0: (laughs) Lots of thoughts going on here, Anonymous. Lots of thoughts. But
1: in answer to your question,
0: yeah. <laughs> I, I want to
1: say that m- the best advice I can think of isn't rooted in a particular etiquette or manner. It's rooted in those principles of etiquette mm-hmm. that we talk about, the consideration, the respect, and the honesty. Because there isn't a an exact answer. There's not a script for this. There's not a type of invitation that you send or – Even necessarily a single defined role that godparents play, it varies in different faiths and different communities and within different traditions. Big picture, I think that if you treat it as an honor, that they are likely to treat it as an honor as well. Mm -hmm. And I think because there is some variability and some different interpretations or different ways that people play the role, different expectations, what that role entails – That you're ready to talk about what you think it would mean to you to have them accept and what it would require of them. If there is some sort of ceremony that they would be participating in or if it's something more ongoing in someone's life, if there are expectations about a role that they would play at some future um, wedding or graduation, that, that those are things that you've thought about and that you would mention to someone
0: Absolutely, I know that for a, a lot of traditional aspects, a godparent role is is often very rooted in spirituality and in religion and in being kind of a a spiritual guide or an extra guide um, and a, another adult mentor for a child. But but defining it as a godparent to create that special connection and really label it as something as opposed to just being another adult in the in the world of this child and then I hear on television and in in entertainment so in movies and TV all the time we hear the assumption that a godparent becomes the guardian of a child if the parents Pass away. And that's not necessarily an automatic or true. It might happen to be the case, especially if, like, you make your sister a godparent to your child, and she would be the type of person that would take over guardianship if anything happened to you or your partner, if you have one. But it's not necessarily always the case. So I like, Dan, that you described it as this can mean different things to different people, and it can have different connotations depending on where you're coming from with it. And I think being really clear about those expectations – is, is a really, really good idea. I remember when I became a, and I call it quote unquote godparent to my, um, my best friend's daughter because it, they weren't doing anything official, nothing connected to a particular religion, but, I had a godmother and and a godfather for that matter that I I really loved having in my life they were extra people who sent gifts and paid attention to my achievements and I got a lot out of that attention and that focus from them um and I really valued it and I really wanted to provide that to her kids but for us that relationship has taken the form of I think you've you've heard us talk on the show before about like the add pearl necklace that I do for my goddaughter and then unaffected officially to her sibling and and her her sister and her brother as well i'm just special auntie lizzie who sends gifts at birthdays and christmases you know and like they've never met me but they know about me and we, we talk every now and again and but it's kind of a little bit more about i think of it as being a little in the fairy godmother category because you're you're like you just you send gifts and you do special things and you just send it their way like with with like no obligation no 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 nothing in return it's just like boom magic you get an extra gift from this adult person who loves your mother very, very much. (laughs) So that's our relationship. Whereas I know other relationships, it really is meant to provide that more spiritual experience. And in some cases, it's really just meant to be a backup in case something happens to the parents. So lots of different ways you might choose to participate in being a godparent, whether you even label it godparent or not.
1: Absolutely. And th- that secular version of the godparent where there isn't a particular faith tradition that defines a role or a responsibility or even just gives some direction in terms it, of tradition yeah. or culture about what's expected. The idea of a an adult relationship for a child that's not their parents, someone yeah. that they can turn to, someone in their life they could go to for advice or help or even just, just another share. perspective, yeah. I think is is potentially something that that can be really valuable. And if if that's the type of thing that you're imagining, I think having been thinking about what those roles might be, and it might be that you're imagining something that that is firmly within a faith tradition. And if that were the case, I would also be ready to talk with someone who wasn't as familiar with that tradition, what exactly that would entail. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was the situation that I personally found myself in where it, there was a a question about what exactly this being a godparent was. And yeah. I hadn't thought a lot about it. I thought of it as something that they could really define for themselves, that uh-huh. I really wanted them to, to be a significant person in my child's life. But they were concerned that it might require them to take on certain spiritual orientations or alignments that they weren't interested in. Mm-hmm. And we we had to talk some before we figured out that no, no, this was a role that they could be honored to play, and it was a role in my life that I was honored to offer them the way they understood it, yeah, and it snuck up on me that there were those <laughs> other layers to the conversation. I found myself really thinking about anonymous's text question to <laughs> us, and I think the kind of forethought that that they're putting into this is going to serve them really well when the time comes to, to make that
0: ask. I think so, too. Anonymous, thank you so much for the chance to explore this question. We hope our answer helps.
1: Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to etiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463 or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the emilypostinstitute. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show.
0: If you love Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member of the podcast by visiting us at Patreon.com slash Awesome Etiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content, including live calls, which we have one coming up. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. To those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support.
1: It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we have feedback from Catherine on episode 404 and registries. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you as always for a weekly dose of kindness. The podcast is something I look forward to every Tuesday. I wanted to offer some additional feedback on the recent discussion of registries, particularly after hearing the feedback in episode 404. I would like to echo the listener's encouragement to check for publicly available registries if you are purchasing gifts for a couple getting married or new parents, but for a different reason. Looking at the registries, even if you do not intend to buy from them, can give you an idea of the preferred style of the couple or family and help you to select a gift that they will feel comfortable using. When we got married, a while ago, we received many beautiful and ornate crystal picture frames. I was very grateful for the gifts celebrating our marriage and the thought that the givers put into this. However, we do not use or display ornate items in our home, so these surely expensive items were not anything we felt comfortable using. Our style is mission arts and crafts. Very simple. Thankfully, most had not been personalized, so I was able to rehome them to people who would enjoy and appreciate their beauty. If those individuals had checked our registry— I think it might have been more clear to them what we were looking for. Things with very clean, minimal lines and styles. Again, we were no less appreciative of the gifts and promptly sent thank you notes conveying our gratitude. But particularly in this time when people are more conscious of not wanting to purchase or have items that they do not use and cannot sustainably get to someone who will use them, it would be wise to check into whether the gift you are planning will be something that a couple or family will feel good about using in their home or with their child. Thank you for the opportunity to share my perspective on this. Warmly, Catherine.
0: Catherine, thank you for your feedback. As always, we appreciate hearing broader perspectives. We can only answer so much in the time we have on the show. So we really appreciate you writing in and sharing your thoughts.
1: I will second that appreciation and add that I think the amount of feedback that we received on this question is serving the function of causing me to shift my thinking about it a little bit. I think that I am finding myself feeling like it's less invasive if someone posts something publicly that there might be a lot of good reasons for checking to see if that's out there.
0: Yeah, I think we've talked about before that if it is a publicly open registry, if that's something that you can just search for on certain platforms or even just in a general Internet search, that having made it public makes it much more likely that it's okay that the couple is welcoming anyone who comes across it to engage with it.
1: I'm a little slow. Sometimes it takes me a few listens before I start to really process these
0: things. (laughs) Totally. Well, thank you, Catherine. And thank you all for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's
1: time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we are going to hear about weddings in the Gilded Age, as Lizzie brings us another reading from Margaret Sherwood's Manners and Social Usages, this time on Autumn Weddings.
0: So, Dan, I have to kind of preface this by saying I thought it was really going to be about Autumn Weddings, but what's really kind of funny about this book is that the chapter might be titled something, but then it doesn't always discuss the thing it's titled, maybe even until the very end. So it's not until about like six pages into the chapter that you get any mention of of the time of year and October being a favorite time. But I do quite like dipping into this and, and reading a little bit of it. Some of this section had talked about where different gifts could be displayed. And I guess there's been a shift at this particular time from gifts being displayed at the wedding to being displayed in the home prior to the wedding. So there's some little things like that that came up in the chapter, but I will read you just the last page and a half of it. If the marriage takes place at home, the bride and groom enter together and take their place before the clergyman who has already entered. Then come the father and mother and other friends. A pair of hassocks should be arranged for the bridal pair to kneel upon, and the father should be near to allow the clergyman to see him when he asks for his authority." For autumn weddings, nothing is so pretty for the traveling dress as a tailor-made costume of very light cloth with sack to match for a cold day. No traveling dress should of itself be too heavy, as our railway carriages are kept so very warm. We have been asked to define the meaning of the word honeymoon. It comes from the Germans who drank mead or methylglin a beverage made of honey, for 30 days after the wedding. The bride cake is no longer cut and served at weddings. The present of cake in boxes has superseded that. At the wedding breakfast, the ices are now packed in fancy boxes, which bear nuptial mottos and orange blossoms and violets on their surfaces. As the ring is the expressive emblem of the perpetuity of the compact, And as the bride cake and customary libations form significant symbols of the nectar sweets of matrimony, it will not do to banish the cake altogether, although few people eat it and few wish to carry it away. Among the Romans, June was considered the most proprietous month for marriage, but with the Anglo Saxons, October has always been a favorite and auspicious season. We find that the festival has always been observed in very much the same way, whether druidical, pagan, or Christian. We have been asked, who shall conduct the single bridesmaid to the altar? It should be the brother of the groom, her own fiancé, or some chosen friend. Never the best man. He does not leave his friend the groom until he sees him fairly launched on that hopeful but uncertain sea whose reverses and whose smiles are being constantly tempted. I got a kick out of that. But I loved, I loved sort of hearing about what would be okay, what wouldn't be okay. I love that she dives into where the word honeymoon comes from. But the cake thing really stood out to me because this is etiquette trends of old. <laughs> like cake being eaten at the win- at the wedding was so not de rigueur. It was like, no, 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 no. People don't even want to eat the cake. Send it home in boxes, and no joke. I have a box of my mother. I think it's my mother's wedding cake because that was a tradition that even up into the 70s was still um, very traditional that a piece of like a fruit cake dressed up in some nice fondant and stuff would end up being sent home. And I know there are traditions for women to tuck the cake under the pillow and they'll dream of their man. Sure, sure, sure. But... It's really interesting to see that it's in the Gilded Age that that tradition of sending people home with a little box of a, of a very small sliver of the cake um, is is like a thing.
1: <laughs> well, and, and I was starting to wonder if we could have a, a Gilded Age wedding cringeworthy trends.
0: But if <laughs> something
1: sticks could. and we're still able to reference some version of it 50, 100 years later, it's <laughs> yeah. probably not cringeworthy. It probably – functioned some way socially like margaret sherwood describes
0: exactly exactly but i did i did love dipping into this it is really fun to see some of like where they were placing importance and on what and it it just i find it all really really interesting if i could y'all i would have read the entire chapter but i think our poor editor would have Fallen off his chair while editing, um, but I do hope to, I do hope to dip into this Gilded Age etiquette more. It's a delightful little book. Again, I got it on eBay. It's called uh, Manners and Social Usages, and it's by Margaret Sherwood.
1: Lizzie Bose, thank you for taking us back in time.
0: Oh, thank you for joining me. like to end our show on a high note so we turn to you to hear about all the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world and that can come in so many forms today we have a salute from alex hello lizzie and dan i'd like to send out a salute to my boyfriend john
1: recently i've gotten into meditating john is not into it himself but always supports me in things that make me happy i had a rather rudimentary setup in our closet for meditating But today I came home to new shelves to put my incense, candles, and crystals, as well as a new pillow to sit on. I really appreciated him thinking about me in this way. Thank you so much for the great podcast. Alex in Arizona.
0: Alex in Arizona, I love this one. Dan knows I'm a big fan of when our partners and the people close to us in life pay attention to us and make little efforts to just make our life better. And this is such a great example of that. Thank you, Alex, for sending this in.
1: And I second that thank you, Alex. And please pass on our thanks to John for the inspiration.
0: Thank you to everyone who listened to today's show. And thank you to
1: everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon.
0: Please connect with us and share the show with friends, family, coworkers, that person you're commuting next to right now, any way that you like to share podcasts.
1: You can send us your next question, piece of feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND, that's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute, and on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute.
0: Please consider becoming a sustaining member of our show by visiting Patreon.com/AwesomeEtiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app, and please consider leaving us a review. It really helps our show ranking, which helps more people find Awesome Etiquette.
1: Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd.
0: Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.